You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Scottish Football Forums podcast. I'm John and we're doing another um, throwback series. Um, there is a World Cup happening this year, but we don't care about that. It's in my country we didn't want to go to, so let's do what we've been used to for the last 24 years and look back at a World Cup that we did qualify for, the last one, France 98. Um, and I'm joined um, with Chris. How are you doing, Chris? I'm good. How are you, John? Hi, good. Yeah, looking forward to this tonight. Um, I mean, we we were um, what leaving school when um, this World Cup happened. That's how long ago that exactly was. Exactly um, that. <laughs> um, but and um, we've brought on someone who was lucky enough to be in France um, for that tournament. Um, Tatan Army foot soldier and author of two books, including his latest one, Le Kilt. Um, Kevin Donnelly, how are you doing, Kevin? Bonsoir. I'm very well. Is that you got your Del Boy lingo on? Yeah, Monge 2, Monge 2. <laughs> We're off to an absolute fire already. But before we even get into um, the campaign in France itself, um, we obviously had to go through a qualifying section. Um, now, Scotland were drawn in what was viewed as um, quite a tough section with um, Sweden, Austria, Belarus, Estonia, um, there's someone I'm forgetting here. Latvia, of course, yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you saw the draw, I mean, given the fact that Scotland were just um, had just come out a year in the next six, having gone through that latest not chapter of glorious failure. Um I, I don't know about you guys, but I wasn't I was asked this when I was on another podcast before, and when I remember this draw, I thought I, I, I expected Scotland to qualify. What was your guys' thoughts at the time? Uh, I was relatively optimistic. I thought it would come down to us or Austria and Sweden, because if you remember at the time, I think Sweden had finished third in the 1994 World Cup. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought it would come down to that. Uh, what I didn't uh, expect was that we would end up drawing, in the, as it turned out, with Estonia in their home game, which... Uh, was a bit nerve-wracking, but um, that's part of the ups and downs of a qualifying campaign. Yeah, Sweden was the one that I noticed as well, because obviously, like you said, they finished third in the previous World Cup. They had some big names in there, like Kenneth Anderson and Martin Dallin and Patrick Anderson. And that, that Some guy called Henrik Larson was in there as well, but I don't think anybody paid too much attention because he hadn't played in Scotland yet. Yeah, I don't even think he'd broken quite into Sweden first team at that point. He was in the squad for a while, and um, Thomas Brolin did also a tad. But yeah. what's yeah. interesting to know, although Sweden did finish in that World Cup, they were outstanding in that World Cup, they also didn't qualify for the Euros, mm-hmm. which is probably a reason why I was a wee bit more optimistic. Um, and Austria were, I know, a decent side, but again, I was quietly confident we could do well. Um, well, we mentioned this, we might as well go there first, because um, we in the first two games we got a 0-0 in Austria, which wasn't a bad result, a good win in Latvia with two good goals from John Collins and Dan Jackson, but <laughs> Kevin, were you in Tallinn? And did you yeah. go on the pitch yeah. to have a kickabout? Uh, no, I didn't go on the pitch to my eternal regret, but I could see some sort of dodgy 
FIFA regulations saying as your fans, fans invaded the pitch, we'll give the game to uh, Estonia. So I, I wanted to leave that ground with a clear conscience, which I did. But um, the game in Latvia was um, it was really well done. I think we actually scored from a set piece as well, uh, the first goal. And I don't know if you remember the tops and the shots, but the drag coefficient of those tops and shots was absolutely incredible. So if you actually see Darren Jackson going through to score that second goal in Latvia, it was a really good uh, it was a really good bit of speed considering the, the garments he was wearing. There's also there's also a funny story about that night in Latvia and um remember Whigfield of Saturday night fame. Yep. Right. You're looking you're looking a bit blank there, John. But Anyway, John Spencer and Gary, McCall- Gary McAllister were at a nightclub and uh, John Spencer asked her for his aut- autograph and she autographed. She decided to write it against his, across his stomach in black and delble ink, but because he's so small, she only got as far as Wigeth. <laughs> so he had to leave the nightclub uh, with Wigeth and scrape across his stomach. <laughs> The reason, just to clarify, the reason that I was going back was it's not because I hadn't heard of Wigfield. I have has clearly heard of Wigfield. It was just because of the dodgy internet connection. And Wigfield's been brought more to fame thanks to David Marshall two years ago now nearly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's um, some yeah. story. <laughs> a firm, a firm favourite with the Tottenham. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, the, the first goal that we scored in that game, um, the, the set piece you're talking about, it was very well rehearsed because the ball was tapped to Collins. He's holding the ball as if to say, McAllister's just strike it. McAllister makes that run as if going to belt it. But Collins actually then drags it back and then hits a crack of left foot shot into the corner. This was when he was at his peak in a Scotland jersey for me. John Collins, one of my favourite players in Scotland. Definitely, definitely. Um, and of course, he was, at, uh, he was at Monaco at the time. He just left to go to Monaco. And um, but it's one of these things when the people describe John Collins as a bit bored, and you think, yeah, that's because he's a professional footballer who treats it like a profession, and he's not going to give the media easy stories about falling out of a nightclub or getting into brawls and pubs and stuff like that. And um, fair play to him, you know, he got a goal in the World Cup final eventually, and um, yeah, very good player. Definitely, and um, obviously that game against Estonia. But now, um, McAllister was supposed to be suspended for that game, um, and the game against Estonia obviously um, called off. Now, FIFA were given the impression that Scotland were going to get the um, the obligatory three 0 victory. But that yeah. didn't quite happen. And there's a lot of conspiracies that Leonard Johansson, who was a president of UEFA at the time, um, picks it so that they would have to replay later. And who who were Scotland playing next? Sweden at Ibrox. And who was going to be missing our captain? But thankfully that day, we didn't need him. And we had Jim Leighton really rolling back the years with... Um, I mean, I don't remember Jim Leighton in the 80s um, because I'm, I'm a young guy, but um, or at that time, but... Um, that was for me his best Scotland performance. He was just unbeatable that day, and um, obviously we got the early goal for John McGinley and hung on for what eighty-eight minutes or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, hold on, I'm just going to show you something. That's the photograph of Jim Layton for, for for viewers at home. I'm holding up a picture. That's the photograph <laughs> of Jim Layton at the end of the game 
and uh, he got man of the man, uh, got uh, supporters clubs player of the year, and he actually he's actually autographed it to me because I got multi-various copies for uh, me sign, and I actually asked him uh, about the game in Minsk because I thought he had a fantastic game there as well, and I thought we sort of hung on in that game, and he actually we won it with a McAllister penalty, and. We were really, really clinging on. It was right at the end of the season. And he said, oh, I was never in doubt. Never thought we were going to lose that game. And um, it's just incredible your view on it from a fan and then his view on it from a professional point of view. So, Yeah, that's, that's incredible. Um, I don't really remember the game in in Minsk. Um, I remember seeing the McAllister penalty um, going into the top corner, obviously, but I have no real recollection of this game. Do you remember it, Chris? Not really. My, my memory of the qualification of this is quite sketchy. I, I definitely remember the, the whole talent thing. Um, that's that's just my clearest memory. Uh, and I remember uh, the sort of final game being, you know, the clincher at Celtic Park when we beat Latvia. I don't seem to remember much else. I, I was thinking about this earlier. And it's like, I, there's some great results in there. Obviously, the yeah. uh, beating Sweden and well, I only lost the way to Sweden, but it was played on a Sunday, uh, the mm-hmm. game at Minsk. And yeah. um, it's, it's one of these, it was very, very close. I remember that. And you could just tell that they were they were running an empty. And um, Belarus, big, strong, physical team, wasn't a big crowd. Um, there was quite a, few, quite a few Scotland fans there. And um, we did the job, and I'm a great believer in that you take what you can away as long as you win your home games. And we managed to win uh, every home game like that. I think the home game against Estonia that wasn't too easy. Was that played at Tyne Castle? And we won three two. That no, that was the um, that was the next uh, European Championship qualifiers that we played them in. No, the one uh, for the World Cup was at Rugby Park. Oh, yeah. 2-0. Um, Tom Boy scored his first Scotland goal with a header and then a cracking on goal for the second one. Um, but the game I remember more was a few days later against Austria because mm-hmm. Kevin Gallagher scored one of my favourite Scotland goals ever. Um, yeah. I was right in line with it. It was um, at Celtic Park. It was the um, upper tier in the corner and you could just see the ball like, swerving and then off post. It was just absolutely sensational goal. And uh, when I interviewed Kevin for the Tatnam magazine, you know, just hearing him talking about it, it was just great to listen to. Oh, great atmosphere that night as well. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And was, Chris I, was, Lee, I, was, it was one of these campaigns that obviously Hamden was getting renovated throughout the 90s, it felt like. Um, so we seem to have like one campaign where we were playing at Hamden and then our campaign would be taking it on the road and then we're back at Hamden and then we're back on the road again. I think, was this was this a campaign where they'd knocked down the south stand by this point? So they were totally rebuilding yes. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, as you say, that was like the, the, the game against Sweden was at Ibrox, the, the game against the Stonehams at Rugby Park, we were up at Todge, we were at Celtic Park a couple of times as well. So but as Kevin alluded, it didn't affect us. We won every single home game. And so many times in, in recent years and the, the, the campaigns that have followed 98, it's we've, we've we've dropped silly points at home or we've done the other thing where we've lost in one of the away games that we really shouldn't be losing and we didn't do that either the only game we lost in this entire campaign was away to Sweden which although they finished third it wasn't really an unexpected game as you pointed out we were missing key players due to suspension and jiggery pokery 
Yeah, I think I think what um, put Sweden down, to be honest with you, was they lost both their games to Austria one 0 home and away, and that put Austrian top spot. Luckily for us, the Estonia result um, that we got in um, Monaco, the nil nil, didn't count um, against us because those results were wiped out when they came to working out the second place um, um, scenario. So by the time we got to play Latvia, it then became clear that unless Spain lost to the Faroe Islands, which was never going to happen. We knew that victory against Latvia was going to um, take us to the um, the World Cup. Now, a couple of questions on that. Um, it's obviously got moved to Celtic Park. Do you remember where we're supposed to be hosting that game originally? No. No. Easter Road. Oh, I was going to see Easter Road. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Easter, yeah, because it became clear that, well, we can get 50,000 instead of um, 15 or 18, whatever Hibs hosted yeah. at the time. And yeah, they moved it. They gave um, Easter Road the compensation of um, a pre tournament final against Finland. And do you remember what station covered the game live? No. Just frozen self, no idea what you just said. Um, what, do you remember what station um, showed the game live? No. STV? No. It rhymes with live. It's Channel 5. <laughs> they they'd they just... Had um, yeah. They had the game because um, no, Channel 5 had only just been launched that year in 97 yeah. and they started picking up the odd games um, and they picked up that one. So, yeah. And a convincing 2-0 win in the end. I mean, Gallagher and Jury both with headers. Um, and, yeah, we were on our way to... Um, on our way to the World Cup Um you look at some of the teams that had to come through the playoffs, they were lucky we were, we were top of that group because Italy were second, Belgium were second, Russia were second, Croatia, who obviously went on to have a terrific World Cup once he got there, they were a second place team. Mm-hmm. They, well, by that point, it was former Republic of Yugoslavia or some Serbia and Montenegro by that point, I think. Um, Ireland were there, Ukraine were there, Hungary were there. So we were, we done well to avoid that um, just for the fact that we were the best runner up. One thing, other thing before we move on away from the, um, the qualifiers, is this the campaign that we started with the sound of music? Was that the way we yes. were away to the very first game yeah. of the campaign? Yeah. And we started Do Deer and to much to, like, I quite like Do Deer. I think I'm the person on this podcast ever does. You might be out alone in a couple of things with that, Chris. Um, I'm not. <laughs> um, yeah. At least a second. <laughs> Exactly, I suppose. Um, and it's not offensive, so... That's <laughs> not that we... yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, I remember the draw being made in the, the December. In fact, here's another question I'm going to throw in. There was a FIFA um, rest of the world versus Europe um, before the draw. Which Scotland player represented Scotland? Give you a clue. Um I mentioned his name a minute ago and he played for Rangers at the time. Gordon Jury. Yes. I think it was supposed to be McAllister, but I think that's when he ran in his injury troubles that obviously cost him his place at the finals. But yeah, Gordon Jury. Um, I remember that game being on. And and then the draw comes and it's Brazil. And it becomes clear that's the opening game. Just how much, how excited were I mean, this was... Um, you know, it literally was like almost getting Christmas um, material that because, you know, that was before Christmas to draw. Yeah, I think the get, getting to Brazil was a bit of a tradition for us. We seem to get them every other tournament. Um, obviously, we never qualified for 94, but we had them in 90, we had them in 82, we had them in 74. 74. 
<laughs> so it was every other tournament we got them. Um, but to actually get them for the opening day was... I, I remember even when the draw was made, I thought that was amazing that we were going to be the, the, the centrepiece uh, of the whole tournament, which was, was a, a terrific honour. I don't think that would be the last one we'd be at, but... Um, yeah, I, even when it's always made, I was I was excited for it. I can't. I honestly can't remember where I was when the draw was made, but clearly, uh, like Brazil, oh, it's 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 hard to it's hard to explain. But you made you made a reference there to every other tournament, and it lo- it looked like it wasn't like we were qualifying every other tournament. We were qualifying for every tournament, you know, from seventy four. Right 74 to 90, we were at the five in a row, and then we missed 94 and we were back in 98. And uh, like I first went in 82, so you were getting a you're getting a bit used to it. So you you again you're thinking, okay, but then it's like dawns on you, it's going to be the Stade de France, it's going to be the opening game, it's going to be Brazil. And um, how did I get a ticket type thing, you know? So that was that. But yeah, the interesting okay. thing was that the SFA, I might be wrong here. Uh, they guaranteed a ticket to the opening game against Brazil to anybody that had been at the three-second game. So, and then depending on what other games you'd been, other qualifiers you'd been at, and that depended on what tickets you got. But um, that was a criteria that they used. So clearly, they were rewarding the the, the few hundred because this is the other thing as well. It's uh, you got to you got to remember this is before um, I think. Um, EasyJet had just started. There was no easy, there's no real easy way to get to these places. Um, I remember we, we got a bus from Riga to Tallinn and I was suicidal by the end of it because it was just the most boring seven hour bus journey I'd ever been on my life. And it was just dull, flat. We actually, we actually went to, we stopped at a beach. That was the highlight of the trip. It's funny how <laughs> things stick in your mind. I, I, I was in Poland a few years ago and it was exactly the same. I was dead excited yeah, to get yeah. a train between uh, like uh, Krakow and Warsaw and there was nothing. For hours, it was just the most boring trains I've ever yeah. been on. I would rather get a train for Glasgow and Inverness because it's a much more beautiful city. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that was it. But uh, So you're in, you're in France and uh, Bosch, there you go. Um, bring it on. Mm-hmm. But yeah. we went. And we, we, we actually played two pre-tournament friendlies in the States. We played in New York and we played in um, Washington. And uh, they didn't really, didn't really show that much. Two draws, two all against Columbia and then a 0-0 with the States and Washington. So. Yeah, the only thing that really came out of those friendlies, unfortunately, was um, Andy Gorham decided um, to leave the Scotland squad because well, there was, I mean at the time he cited personal reasons and he put that in his letter to Craig Brown but then it transpired later that he had learned from another member of staff not Craig directly that he wasn't going to be picked so Craig swears that he had made that choice so we can only take their words for it to be fair Andy's never said it was Craig that told him um, he never um, he said it was another member of staff said it was leading towards Leighton Craig says we don't know uh, he hadn't made his decision he was going to give each of them a game, but Andy made the decision easy, and that's why Neil Sullivan played one of the games and Jim Leighton played the other. So, and yeah, sad what happens, obviously, to Andy in the, the summer. Um, God rest his soul. But, um, but yeah, so that was that in terms of the the, the squad then. And in terms of the squad itself, I mean, I'll come on to nostalgia stuff in just a moment, but so I, I sent you a link to the um, 
game, and I can't remember if I sent you the squad um, now, come to think of it, but um, out of the 23-man squad that we um, that we took, what changes would you guys have made to it? The one I always said um, was we should have taken McCoyst. I know he was coming to his end of his Rangers career, um, but he was still a class striker. I, I, I think the last game for Rangers was the, the Scottish Cup final that season. Um, but he, he went on to play for Kamarlock after that. He was still he was still one of the best strikers that Scotland had. We hadn't used him enough in Euro 96, and that kind of seemed to fall on for that. It's just we didn't bother him at all. And it was in my head that Craig Brown just didn't like him um, for whatever reason. I, I don't know if that's the case. You spoke to Craig and one half. So. Yeah. Uh, but that, that, that's, the, that's the standout for me. I mean, I would have loved to take McAllister, but as you mentioned, his injuries. It, it would have been good for him to kind of redeem himself because obviously he had the penalty at Euro 96. Um, he did have that penalty against the Belarus, but if he'd, done, if, if he'd been able to return to a big tournament and done something there, there'd have been some kind of redemption. The same way that Pedro Baggio had at this very tournament. Mm-hmm. Like he was obviously the, the guy who missed the penalty in the final and then went on to score in a penalty shot, which that then lost anyway, but he took the first one. So it would have been good to get McAllister that, but Injury cost him that, and that was pretty much him done for Scotland. And Andy Gorham's the other obvious one for me. And again, there's obviously issues there. I would definitely agree with um, the McCoyst analysis because if you, the other thing about McCoyst is he's a huge personality. And you're looking at Simon Donnelly, and you're thinking you've got him, he's not going to play that much, really. And if McCoyce is going to play as much as Simon Donnelly, and it's all he's saying, oh, he's one for the future, but, well, didn't turn out to be one for the future from what I can see. And McCoyce around that camp might have been uh, more a more positive influence and off the pitch. I don't know. Um, I went I went about six... Oh, God, it's longer than that. Yeah, about 16 years ago, I went to see a Masters game at Craven Cottage and it was mainly the 1998 squad and um, you, you were looking at them and you're thinking this was a squad that could look after itself you know there was no no shrinking violence in that squad and when you hear some of them talk you've met people obviously John um, they're very very competitive and very determined so like you're, you're, you're going out and I think because people had faith in them to that extent, because of the character and the results they got away from home, especially in the qualifiers, the actual tournament itself was just such a downer. Yeah, I've written down three changes I would have made to that squad personally. I know hindsight's a wonderful thing, but you no, know, these were kind of my thoughts at the time. I, I, I had Alan McCoy instead of Scott Booth, because um, I, um, I think Scott Booth's um, career starts going the down at this point. Um, and I know he'd got a loan move to Utrecht from Dortmund and he scored a couple of goals but I thought McCoy ended that season in great form and I was surprised he was, wasn't was taken um, I'd have took Stuart McCall um, for his experience um, and I'd have dropped Hosh McKinley because he'd have lost he lost his place um, he only played five games that season two for Celtic and three for Stoke um, a terrible loan spell um, and don't have took David Larson, that's the answer there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, David Hopkin, I would have had him instead of Scott Gamble. Scott Gamble, for me, although he turned up for a lot of scores, I never, ever thought he was at a national quality. And David Hopkin, I thought, showed glimpses, especially in that game against Belarus at 1-4-1. Um, he 
and he had a good season for Leeds. He's played thirty odd games for Leeds. Um, that's the other change I would have made. But it's easy for us to say that um, when you no know, Craig's watching these guys. As much as I'd love to take Ian Jess being an Aberdeen fan, and he had, he um, he was at a stage where. Although he his best days were behind him, he was still pretty much single-handedly keeping Aberdeen in the Premier League. I can't find a place for him in that squad. Maybe for Don, as you mentioned, Kevin. Um, but yeah. I think, but Simon Don, to be fair, did have a good season with that Celtic team that stopped Rangers win the ten, of course. But that um, is David Hopkins not a bit of a bam as well, though. <laughs> I don't know. I was only interested in what they do in the pitch, to be fair. And but you know, the, in terms the, of character the, as well. Good manager, you're, you're shut away with these guys for five weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, and if he's not the sort of guy that's wanting to play ping pong or do bingo at night or stuff like that, wants to go and get bevied. Right, you're, you're thinking, hmm, is that a tipping point? You know, Scott, yeah. Scott Booth doesn't like to go out and get bevied. He'll pick Scott Booth. You know? mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Scott Booth yeah. was good a couple of years before, to be fair. You know, he deserved his year in 96 place because he um, yeah. scored a couple of key um, goals in the qualifiers, but he'd been away from the squad for a couple of years. But right. It's an interesting point you make about McKinley because there's something they'll say about that squad that it's harder to get out of than to get into. Yeah, I think it was. I, I mean, the, the other thing I was thinking of when you put this question as previously um, was what, that season... The, the the team was lattered to the Celtic players because Celtic had just been the champions for the first time in 10 years. But during that season, Hearts advanced Celtic and Rangers pretty close until they dropped off about March time. They went on they went on to win the Scottish Cup and yet the only Hearts player in that entire team was David Weir. Nobody else was called up for the squad. Neil McCann did eventually get into the squad just after the World Cup. Um, Colin Cameron was another one who played really well for uh, that Hearts team and kind of came in afterwards. The top scorer for Hearts that season was Jim Hamilton. He never got to make the step up for the Scottish under twenty ones. But I, 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 maybe, maybe the, the games in the United States would have been a chance to give those guys a, a, a look at them, given how they played. But Paul Ritchie's another one that cropped up a couple of times. He had a good season, and eventually he got in the Scotland squads, and then his career deteriorated when he moved to Rangers and then get sold after a month but that's another issue but at that point he was playing very well and he's someone that maybe mm-hmm. the, the question suppose could he have gotten ahead of Derek White but again we can look at this in hindsight 24 years later um, Craig Brown had that decision to make and Craig you know was a loyal guy sometimes to the detriment but as later years proved there wasn't a lot of um, really big promising young players apart from Barry Ferguson coming through um, because Teams just stopped bringing through youth for a while, and Craig was stuck for the next four years after this tournament. But this tournament, he still had options. But um, there's a reason yeah, why he got the job at the end of the day. But like Simon Donnelly, I mentioned earlier, was the youngest player in the squad at 23. Then you've got McNamara and uh, Daly at 24 when the world came in. So they're not that young for when you go to the other end of the scale, Jim Leighton was the oldest guy at the tournament. Yeah, <laughs> thirty nine. But there was, I mean, there was quite a few. Of them, like, like Boyd was thirty two, and Godwin's thirty three, and Hensley's thirty two, and McKinley's thirty three, and Gallagher's thirty one. So there's a lot of that kind of the other end of the scale, as you say. That's this was kind of their last chance, really. It yeah, is last chance, but yeah. I mean, the the question was posed about John McGinn. Like, is he obviously scored that good, crucial goal against Sweden? Um, mm-hmm. Arguably, the goal that decided it for us that we were finishing second place um, but 
he tended to come into his own in the Scotland team when he played with Bolton in the first division, the old first division as it was in now the championship, of course. But when Bolton were in the Premier League, it was in the years of Euro 96 and World Cup 98. And he, he just um, couldn't handle it. And then, of course, other people came into form and that's how he lost his place. So um, I don't think there was any arguments at that point. In terms of the build-up to the world, in fact, before I even go into the build-up, Kevin, um, in terms of your own arrangements, because um, I remember you telling me the story about um, your arrangements for going to Sweden, and obviously we're talking at a time before Ryanair and yeah. Skyscan and all the rest of it. You know, was it travel agent stuff or Teletext holidays? Okay. Uh, I remember one Sunday night I was at home and I was a member of the London Supporters Club at the time, and the then chairman, he phoned me up and he said, I've got a deal for the World Cup. I went, all right, what are you talking? He went, 315 quid, two weeks, bus bus to France, take us round France, and that includes accommodation and a shared room basis. And it was like, 315 quid? You're kidding me? He said, no, I said, all right, count me in. What we never, what I never realised, and I was fortunate in that in Paris and Bordeaux, I'd actually pre-booked accommodation. Because I don't know if you've ever stayed in a Formula One hotel. Right. Well, Formula Formula Ones are remarkably cheap because they're by the side of a motorway and they are uh, in the middle of nowhere. And if you've ever seen Prisoner of Cell Block H, that's what I think the model is from. <laughs> so it transpired that per head you were paying £5 a night to stay in this place. And it had all mod cons, you know, like a, a TV, one of those bathrooms where you could shower, shit and shave all at the same time. <laughs> and I didn't I didn't find out about this until we went to um, Lille. And we ended up in this Formula One for the first time, me and my mates, me and three mates who'd been in Paris and Bordeaux in our own hotels. And you had an auto route going down one side of the hotel, and at the same in the same direction you had a TGV line, and you were in the approach for Lille Airport, and you also had an industrial estate on the other side of the hotel with an air compressor that kicked off at five o'clock in the morning. So after one night, it was like mutiny in the bounty. <coughs> everybody's everybody's got up, including the guy that's organised the trip, and said, "We're not staying here." Right, so those of us, those of us that wanted out and could afford that, we actually went and stayed in the, the centre of. Um, I'm seeing Leon. It's Leon. Leon. I'm getting my French cities mixed up. It was Leon, and um, other people had told me that if you think it was far out in Leon, in Paris, you had to get a train to Versailles. I don't know if you know how far out Versailles is, but then you had to get a bus from the Versailles train station to take you to this Formula One. So, but it was quite jolly in the bus. Like when we left, I phoned up, uh, when we left London, I phoned up Sky, Newsroom Southeast, um, BBC London Radio, and the ITV six o'clock show. And amazingly, they all turned up. I couldn't believe it. They must have been really, really slow news day. So there was like four camera crews as people are piling out of this pub in London to get in the bus on the Tuesday morning that was going to take us to Paris and we're going to get there the night before the game. 
But like people had gone there on the Saturday and the weekend before, and they all, they were all having a great time, you know. So that's that's how I got to the World Cup. I actually came back in the Eurostar because I couldn't face a bus. So there you go. You're not a fan of buses, are you? <laughs> no, no, most definitely not. It was a cheap and cheerful way to go. Um, so in, in terms of some of the pre-tournament um, stuff, so Scotland actually decided to change their kit, which I thought at the time was a bit strange because, you know, we'd only had that kit for less than two years and I liked the um, the kit that we had um, during the qualifiers. But um, And the, the one that we ended up with, it was one of those ones that you weren't sure about it until you saw it in the shops and actually thought it looked better in the public yeah. eye than when you saw it in the, the newspapers. I mean, what was your take on it, Chris? Oh, I loved it. I, that, like, um, yeah. So, I think I, the, my first Scotland kit was for Italia 90. Um, yeah, likewise. I love the Euro 96 one and I never had it. Um, so when they changed it away from that, I was probably a bit miffed. <laughs> they changed it away for that cutting step. So when they changed it again for the World Cup, I was kind of glad and to the point that I definitely remember rushing about trying to get myself one before the first game. Um, and did manage to get one. I loved that wee button. Um, I think that might, that might be my, one of my things because what my, my favourite Celtic strip is also one that's got a button there. <laughs> so I put a button and, and just at the collar, I'm happy. Um, but yeah, I, I, I was a big fan of the, the, the France Tank 8 cap. Yeah, I think it also value for money in terms of quantity of cloth or material, especially the shorts. My God, it was like <laughs> yeah. going back to the 1900s. It's funny, I was watching some of the highlights for the for France Day across the teams. They were all like that. Like everybody had a baggy kind of shirts and stuff like that. Compare it to now, and it's, oh, yeah. everything's clean yeah. film and uh, yeah. really tight on you. Whereas I would prefer the opposite way around because when I was younger, it would probably look that way anyway. And when I'm older, I could really do with the, yep. the, exactly. the board room. Thanks very much. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing that you're talking about. It's amazing you thought about the shorts because in Italian 90 it went from one extreme to the other. So yeah, the tight shorts in Italian 90 yeah. and then the yeah. <laughs> no nearly knee high um in the yeah. <laughs> in France 98, which is incredible. Um yeah, so I'll, it, it, what I mean Kevin, I know you were on your way to France, but what um do you remember do you remember what TV programmes you might were pre um tournament build ups you might have watched? Like um not necessarily the oh here's BBC's um Preview of France Night, but um, anything else that you remember? Like, no, no, uh, this this is a personal thing, right? I got interviewed in news at 10 the night before we left because I'd been out, I'd been out for a couple of drinks, and um, the guys had come down to get in the bus. And uh, the guy said, He stopped me at King's Cross and he said, Um, can we interview you uh, about the rail strike? And I said, well, you can, but I don't you want to hear what I've got to say. And he said, why? I said, well, my dad was a train driver, so I'm, I'm in quite in favour of unions, people being able to strike. It's very, very hard to organise a strike these days in the UK, so they must have the support of the members. And the guy says, no, no, say what you want. And um, so I repeated it to the camera, and he said, and will the strike of what affect you, sir? And I went, no. And he went, why? So I said, I'm going to the World Cup. And he burst out laughing. So <laughs> I'm on the bus the next day and my mother phones me up. And I should point out this time I had an uncle who had a slight drink problem. And she said to me, how are you doing? I said, oh, I'm all right. I'm on the bus to the World Cup. She said, oh, your uncle must have been half cut last night. I said, why is that? He said, oh, he phoned me up at half past 10. He told me he'd just seen you in the news. 
And I said, he was right. I was. <laughs> she goes, what are you doing in the news? I mean, he just stopped me, you know. So, so unfortunately, with regards to your question, I get no recollection of any special <laughs> World Cup programmes at all. So, uh, Chris? <laughs> For me, the, the, the TV programme I've always sticks out was only an excuse, because I think only an excuse was probably at its peak at this point in time. Yeah. Um, it's like, like uh, Jonathan Watson... It was nailing all the, the uh, impressions that he could actually do himself in, like Jim White, Charlie Nicholas, and Chick Young, and Tommy Burns, and Kenny Douglas, and and then, but he also had Alistair McGowan in it at that point. So he was he was always terrific. He was really good at like Gary Lineker and Des Lynham and uh, Jimmy Hall was in it as well. Um, may have been a questionable joke in that from uh, given what Tottenham used to sing about him back then. Um, but yeah, I, I, for me, the only excuse for last night, it was one of the best. Um, and it, it was even a song at the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was good. Um, I, I, so yeah, that's, that's the programme that stuck out for me. Yeah, there was the there was McCoy. You mentioned uh, Jim Hill. He went on McCoy's Macaulay, um, which they filled yes. just outside the Eiffel Tower, and that was one of the better editions of it. I didn't think it was brilliant, but that edition was quite good. Um, Is that that's yeah. the one that Ulrika Johnson was on as well? Yes, and things happened after that. Yes, which we want to beat. <laughs> <laughs> Because that's for another day, another show. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, Jim Hill went on, and uh, you know, he was questioned about this song. He, he just he didn't complain about it. In fact, when he lapped off, and he said, "In my defence, I didn't say it was a t- poor toe poke," and he got a rousing um, laugh and applause. For it, and I thought, "Good on you." You know, I didn't, I never Fair minded him, and that song we never get away with. To be fair, no. these days, no, not at all. But uh, like I've always said, that a toe poke is a very good thing to have in your uh, kit bag. Because if you time it right and you use it at the right time, it's spectacular right. and it worked perfectly yeah. well for David Neary. Mm-hmm. It's a legal way to score a goal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right, frankly. Um, yeah, and uh, this um, the song that they picked as well was, um, you know, it's it's been questionable. Don't come home too soon. My opinion of it is it's a decent song. It's not a football song. And, to, and Justin Curry, to be fair, said it was written for that intention it was never written at any point to be used as a world cup song but when he get offered the money um came for came was like right i didn't stop it um and to be fair it's probably made him more famous than had he just released it as a normal single yeah. probably there are better delimitary songs um i think even he would probably admit that but i really yeah. like it I, I i still get a lump in my throat about being on that stupid plane I think he's actually jinxed us with that damn song, because we've not been on the stupid plane since. Yeah, what we wouldn't give now to be on that stupid plane. I know, because the only the only term of qualified for since people could get there by train and bus. Yes, or drive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you certainly didn't need a plane to get to Hampton unless you were coming down for Inverness. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> put a plane down to London. <laughs> exactly, but um. But yeah, I mean, the video for it, I mean, it, it was just basically a, a piss take of um, the Brazil Nike one. Um, ah, Rio de Janeiro, which was outstanding. <laughs> Aye, Jury schools and a drunken fan. <laughs> <laughs> and Colin Henry trying to keep you up, he's in um, the, 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 the concourse. I just thought it was. I, I, have you seen him interviewed about that? Yeah. They said they cut that really well because you can never manage anymore about two or three keep you up anyway in the normal time. So it looks really good in the video. Yes, <laughs> aye. It's it's had its. Uh, what was your thoughts on the song, Kevin? 
Uh, not a fan. Yeah. Just leave it at that. No, like you, you sat on the fence. <laughs> we we don't tend to have classic song. I mean, there's obviously the benchmark in eighty two, but yeah. she's yeah. never been beaten. Never the rest will of be. our songs are a bit rubbishy, to be honest. I always thought Army is good fun. Um, but the Drudge Stewart doing Purple Heather and Euro 96. Yeah. I quite like the one that Fish did in 90, The Lies You're On The Sun. I don't think anybody liked it at the time. You can barely say it. was great. It. Mm-hmm. Say it was great. Aye. I quite like it. I think it's actually a good decent song. <laughs> Maybe I'm just sad and like crap songs. Um, but we don't tend to have good ones because to me, the benchmark of Oral Cup song is New Album. Can I say that on this podcast? Yeah. <laughs> World of Emotions is a damn good song. Mm-hmm. And John Barnes makes it. Yeah. Yeah. Aye, definitely. Um, do you remember what the official England song was for France 98? Vindaloo. That was. Nope. Was it not? Was that, that not, was the, not official the official song? It should nope. have been. Mm-hmm. The official England song for France 98 was How Does It Feel to Be on Top of the World by the Spice Girls? And it flops. I think you had Vindaloo number two and um, the uh, second rendition of Three Lines, which David Badillo yeah, has yeah. announced is bringing it out for this World Cup in tribute to Lionesses. Great. Fair good enough. song. I hate to admit it's a good song. Yeah, <laughs> it is, it's the only one I can remember that has made it onto the terraces immediately. I mean, I mean, we're, we're now in a kind of position where like pop songs appear and get reworded to fit teams, which like Alters groups have been doing for yeah. a while now, for, for, for the last 10 years or something like that. Um, yeah. But back then, it was unheard of to have a song just appear suddenly like that, especially when it was specifically written for football. That just worked. Took off. Um, I quite like the fact that Germans decided that because they won Euro 96, they got to take the song home with them. <laughs> Just like we won the song as well, and they started using it. But I mean, given what the Lionesses did in the summer, crack on, re release it. It's just worth it. Yeah, I met the guy, met the guy that produced uh, Vindaloo. He's a big Brentford fan, goes home and away with Brentford. And Keith Allen's a big Fulham fan. And he got introduced to Keith Allen, and he said there was no, there was no sort of initial, don't know, camaraderie. And his attitude was, all right, give me the song and I'll see what I can do with it. So he played it and he did a sort of version of an old grey whistle test and he put it in a Brentford bus and he played it once and he said to everybody, can you all sing that song? And they all sung it back to him so he thought, oh, bloody hell, I've got a hit. I'm going to have to deal with Keith Allen, a Fulham fan. So. Of course, Keith Allen's the link between the two because he was also in a video for uh, World of Motion yeah, behind yeah. John Barnes. Amazing he's still alive. <laughs> He's probably, he's probably had just as much pop success as his daughter has. <laughs> mm, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so maybe we'll move away from the, the songs and uh, get onto the games itself. Um, another qu- um, quest question I've got. So, Chris, you mentioned Celtic eight players in the Scotland squad. That was obviously the most in the Scotland squad. Um, which team had the next highest? Blackburn Rovers. Correct. They had three. Had three they had yeah. Colin Henry, Bill McKinley, and Kevin Gallagher. Yeah. And uh, two of them obviously started in the game against Brazil. Um, so Brazil actually um, named their team a month before the game, but they had to make one change because Romario got injured and they brought in Babel. Aye. <laughs> <laughs> if only we could do things like that, eh? I know. It's like the other week when um, Mo Salah came on as a sub for Liverpool. You know, it's that same idea, but. Um, 
but yeah, um, it was. I mean, you had the usual opening ceremony. I mean, let's, let's be honest, opening ceremonies are just the usual. Um, you know, you just want to get to the game. But what I didn't like was that they brought the players out and then it must have been about 10, 15 minutes of just public speaking. Um, like Seb Blatt, um, you know, Yao Havalanche was speaking, Seb Blatter was speaking, the President of France, I think, had to do the thing, then some wee girl had to do the code of conduct thing. And I think that must have affected our concentration because we conceded the goal that Craig Brown's teams did not do for the previous two, three years. It was a ridiculous goal to lose. Yeah. Was that not their second chance to, do, to score that goal, though? Yeah, I think they'd had one in about 60 seconds. Well, it was from a corner, so... Yeah. yeah. I think it was a second corner, and they did the same thing for the second one that they did for the first one, and put this one in the net, so... Yeah. Uh, it was not the, not the greatest of starts for us. And it was like the weirdest guy in the, their team that scored <laughs> it as well. Yeah. Played against better players, of course, as well. So Maybe that made a difference as well. Yeah, bring in the air or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that was uh, I was sitting, I was actually sitting in the Scotland section for a variety of reasons. I was sitting with some uh, Austrian mates, and uh, I had on a Glen Gary uh, with a pheasant feather. Don't judge me. And um, I felt this hand on my shoulder, and I turned round and I'm looking into the face of the infamous Glasgow gangster Jimmy Boyle. And he goes, I like the hat, big man. I like the hat. I went, okay, thank you very much. Brilliant. <laughs> and I turned back and I said to most of friends, I said, we are okay. And they went, what do you mean? I said, if the Brazilians start any trouble, the Scots will definitely finish. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they said, what are you talking about? I said, oh, that guy that's just spoken to me, he's a, he's a murderer. And they went, what? There is a murderer? I went, yeah. It's a long, a long story, a long story. <laughs> but my mate, my mate refused to be, my mate refused to believe that I'd I'd met Jimmy Boyle, right? And and a totally surreal image. Me and the, my mate were walking down towards the ground in Bordeaux, and Jimmy Boyle's walking towards us. I went, "All right, Jimmy." And he goes, "Oh, the boy with the hat. How are you doing?" <laughs> right? My mate goes, "That's Jimmy Boyle." I went, "Yeah." And what was even more strange, the strangest thing of all was, you know how you get these uh, plastic-wrapped big bundles of programmes for the sellers? He actually had bought so many programmes, the seller had just given him a wrapped bundle. So he must have bought something like 25 to 40 match World Cup programmes, and he was carrying them away from the ground. I don't know where he was going to put them, but I've just made up that I saw him again and he remembered me. It's a claim to fame having J- Jimmy Boyle as a horner. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, not bad backup. Um, so, yeah, and Scotland could have folded that game quite easily after going to go oh, death, so quickly. Death. And Ronaldo um, could have had a couple of goals. I mean, there was one occasion where he turned Colin Hendry inside out and then late made a good save and late made a couple of good saves from Roberto Carlos as well. But we then started to settle in the game, and <laughs> I remember Kevin Gallagher telling me this story. Tell me the story about um, you know how it was the dream that he was wanting to play Brazil in the World Cup final, but instead this was finals. Everything, and I jokingly said in my question, um, "So in your dream, did you fall down for a penalty?" <laughs> but to be fair, you mentioned that Sweden game, Chris. Kevin Gallagher had the chance to go down after being clipped. I can't remember who the defender was. Might have been Patrick Anderson. Can't remember. But he decided to stay on his feet and he didn't get the penalty. So he felt contact in this one by Cesar Sampaio, believe it or not. 
went down and the referee um, gave a penalty. Soft, or was it a deserved penalty? I think VR would have probably given it these days, to be oh, fair, because there is contact. Right. There, there's no doubt for me it's a foul. It reminded me of uh, the penalty jury got against England in 96, mm. where, he, where he actually, he, he clearly took the ball, he made the move, and he was expected to get the challenge that would get a penalty. And I thought it was the same again. Right, I think in both cases they could have stayed on their feet, but as you point out, if you were to get a penalty in the, in the qualifying tournament for staying on your feet and you're good in this time. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't know what people's thoughts were, but when obviously this was two years after Gary McAllister, um, and there must have been hearts and mouths stuff thinking, oh, God, here we go again. And this is going to be a similar outcome. But thankfully, John Collins was the coolest man in the stadium and he could not have placed that any better. I think that you could tell Collins was cool about it. And you know that way, sometimes you can just tell a guy's going to score the penalty. And sometimes you can tell he's not going to score it. I had that, I, the Euro 96 one was still in my head. So there's still that doubt in my head. But you, I was a bit calmer than I otherwise would have been, having seen him. So I killed my in the stadium for that, sure. And just such an iconic moment. But then there was another typical Scottish iconic moment in the second half where the own goal. <laughs> Tomboy gets a lot of criticism off one of our um, fellow podcasting team, Scott. He loves to slag off Tomboy. I don't know how, and he loves to slag off Jim Leighton as well. I don't know how either of them can be blamed. Jim Leighton makes a good save for Cafu in the yeah. first instance. And Tomboy's there to cover. Where else is he meant to go? And it's just unlucky the ball's hit him. And the ball's trickled away from Hendry. If you want to put the blame on anyone for that happening, arguably Jury for not tracking the run, um, or whoever yeah, it Jury is. Jury tries that the weird overhead kick. But you're thing. just cutting the straws there. Yeah, he tries that weird overhead kick clearance thing. I don't know what Jury was doing. Um, but obviously, Kathy got away from him, had the shot, which the only thing Leighton can do there is block it he can't direct it anywhere he just has to stop it and he's unlocking it it breaks it exactly into the path of where Tom Boyd is now if Tom Boyd's not there Ronaldo's behind him what happened so yeah. it hits Tom Boyd that goes in the net there's nothing he can do about that there's, he's, he's, as much he can do about that as it was that Leighton could direct when the ball was going after the cafe shot it is just ridiculously bad luck but it's one that Tom Boyd can live with forever because he's got the one of the World Cup for Brazil. Mm, yeah. And being there, Kevin, did you be just sick? Yeah, I just couldn't, couldn't believe it. But as you say, you know, like, you're hanging on for certain certain periods, you know? And this is this is where you'd, you'd like to think that you don't want to go out and sort of be clearly time-wasting, but there's a lot of experience there and you think... Could they have broken the game up more? You know, just try to halt the flow of sexy samba soccer as we've been indoctrinated to believe the Brazilians can only play, you know? And uh, like another thing as well is like talk, everyone goes on about getting their faces more, but you've got to get close to them again to get in their faces. And sometimes you won't even get that close. So I'll read out some of the Twitter comments when asked for people's uh, memories. So Vinny um, from our podcast um, says, getting ready to leave school early to get ready for the Brazil game. Can still smell those plastic tartan noses the Daily Record gave away. I don't remember these. Yeah, <laughs> and there was a wee, um, wee sort of gonk type thing with ginger hair. Mm. It was, was cardboard. And um, I had a safety pin in the back. I might have one of my Glengarry. 
Yeah, I can't say I remember them. Um, Andrew Slaven of um, Total Football Scottish, uh, Scotland Show um, says, me and my two other pals aggressive crying after 90 minutes, not because of the result, but because our Scotland saltire face paint was sinking into her eyes. Horrific. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ouch. The person behind the beer hunters, Tatanami, um page um, says, Paris, Collins, Petty, Bedlam, Wine, Cognac, Bordeaux. Um, welcome on that later. And then um, Glasgow Giant says the rainstorm after the Brazil game um, and also John Collins apparently flying home in the half because couldn't get to Madrid in between second and third games due to real strike in Spain um, do you remember the um, the rainstorm after the Brazil game because you were there Kevin uh, to be perfectly honest no we found a wee Moroccan bar um, nice. and um, the, rain, the rain never bothered us uh, we we uh, <laughs> I've been to Paris a couple of times before in my life, but uh, for some reason, instead of going back to the RER, we decided to go to the Metro following a Shetlander who'd never been in Paris before in his life, thinking he knew where he was going. So it was about 25 stops in the Metro to get in and uh, had a bit of a, a contretemps with some Brazilians who decided to give it large. Like, it was just verbal. But like you're, we're just sitting there minding our own business and a guy comes up and goes, we're better than you. And I'm thinking, like, yeah, mate, you won two one, you know. Okay, congratulations. And then he goes, No, no, we're better than you. I went, Yeah, I know. And so then there was a full and frank exchange of views, mainly from me. And uh, he went back down the corridor to his mates. And somebody said to me, You were out of order there, pal. And I said, Look, I didn't ask him to come up and give you're better than me to us. I'm sitting here minding my own business. He's walked the length of the carriage to give it the big one. So what am I meant to do? It was all verbal. There was nothing physical. But he went away with his tail between his legs. <laughs> I'm not a fan of Brazilians in case you haven't been like that. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go to my wee box, uh, my Scotland box, and see if I can find a plastic nose to show you, John. <laughs> no worries. Kevin mentioned he went to Morocco bar after that. That's pretty good. Because the, the, the game that later that night was uh, Morocco and Norway. Which was a really good game, actually. I remember mm-hmm. watching it. Um, I remember thinking that the guy Hadji was really good, which obviously the name sticks out because he's Hadji, but not the Romanian one. He's the Moroccan Hadji. Um, and then after that, I don't know if it was immediately that night or if it was the following night, but fantasy football was on during this World Cup as well. Mm-hmm. And they they were picking up things like, well, the goal scorers for Norway that night were Egg and Chippo. And it just launched this entire thing about let's take two names from the World Cup squads and join them together. And we had some absolute classics. Like there was Koku Collar. Um, the, the one that always stuck in my head was Rectal Salami. <laughs> Random. <laughs> Why? <laughs> um, but I, some of the some of the names I can't come up, I can't remember anymore at the moment. But um, yeah, I was. I, I remember watching some of those back, and um, I think the main standouts were Bridget Nielsen being absolutely. Oh, she was and uh, she just made a complete fool herself. And Johnny Rotten making such a fool of herself that he get um, booted out during the ad break. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, I mean, it wasn't as good in ITV as it was in BBC. Yeah. No, no, it kind of had that little renaissance during the World Cup, I think. But it, you're right, it was better. It was a better as a BBC. Yeah, so. yeah that Morocco Norway game. I think Morocco were very unlucky not to win that. To be brutally honest, I thought they were the better team. It was. Goalkeeping yeah. blunders for both goals, including the own goal, that um, you know cost them that game. 
Um, yeah, because I mean, even the, the egg and goal came what, a minute after Morocco second, so it's, it's just going to hold on to it. Yeah. Uh, and ultimately, that cost them. I can't right, find Kevin wants to show us a tartan nose. <laughs> I can't find a tartan nose, but I've got something even better an inflatable <laughs> big bubbly. <laughs> With a machine magazine. Uh-huh. <laughs> right, hold on. I, I, should been, I should have been putting this out on YouTube as well. We'll maybe <laughs> ke- put this clip on YouTube. <laughs> And for those listening to the podcast, Kevin is blowing an inflatable of Craig Burley. Draw your own conclusions. So this is this is what you can tell the children, John, if they won't go to bed, tell them that inflatable Craig Burley will be coming after them. You know, there he is. <laughs> Thankfully, Inflate. this has been recorded. My kids are sleeping. <laughs> So yeah, then, that's the can you make out he's even got the missing the missing teeth? Aye. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. he, he does have the brunette though, look, which will come on, eh? yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, <laughs> yes. Well, well, uh, this is leading us nicely on, on to the next game in uh, Bordeaux. Um, <laughs> that was a um, a Dennis Law um sketch and uh, only excuse actually. Um, do you know in Bordeaux they produce six million bottles of wine per year? Of course, in Scotland, we've got Coat Bridge, <laughs> where they drink six million bottles of wine per year. But please don't take any offence, people from Coat Bridge. We are only joking um, and reading off a sketch from Only Excuse, so sue them, not us. Um, <laughs> um, and so, yeah, on to Bordeaux next. Um, Beer Hunter Startnami says, Crazy night outside Lopera, where they diverted the traffic to accommodate the TA, plus a few things that can't be repeated. Um, I'll need to find out more about that. Don't tell us half a story. <laughs> this Norway game for me summed up the need for Ali McCoyce. And I think Craig Brown has long admitted since his regret of not taking Ali to the finals because this was tailor made for. I mean, no harm to Gordon Jury. Um, he's a hard worker and a very good player, but he didn't have that penalty box instinct like um, McCoyce did. And Kevin Gallagher had his purple patch. But he was carrying injury in that tournament as well. This was needed, and Alan McCoy to just come on and score the winner. Because um, we, yeah. especially that first half, we dominated that first half. We were, yeah, that was my memory of that game as well. We were brilliant in the first half and just couldn't put the ball in it. And then immediately out the second half started. We, we were obviously worried about Tony on the floor, who was a great Chelsea player at the time. Um, but it was the other floor that scored in like the first minute of the second half, and it was just. It was a sucker punch because we played so well and had nothing to show for it, and now we were behind and chasing the game. It was just unbelievable. Yeah, it was. It was awful. But then, I mean, we. I think a lot of us had been saying that the um, before the tournament that Jackie McNamara got the players' player of the year in Scotland, playing in right wing back or right midfield. Craig Burley got. Um, Scotland Football Writers Player of the Year playing in central midfield, attacking midfield scoring 16 goals that helped Celtic win the title McNamara didn't start the first two games Burley started the first two at right wing back where he played during the qualifiers, we played Dan Jackson um, in the whole in the, in the number 10 position which no harm to Dan Jackson decent striker but he's not a number 10, not someone that can run in behind like Craig Burley could so Jackson, after picking up his second book in the tournament, gets taken off. Um, Burley then gets moved into that position. McNamara right wing back. And lo and behold, Burley scores after a great pass by David Weir, who came on for Calderwood, who'd broken his arm. Um, what a post finish that was as well, by the way. 
It's a cracking finish. Um, I, I could point out that it's still the last goal we've scored in the World Cup. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a terrific goal that he, he takes well. It, it would have been very hard to not hit it at all or uh, like even blast it over a bar or some, do something silly with it. Um, but it, it's, it's, like you say, it's composed and it gets us back into the game. Just couldn't get that winner. Um, but yeah, you're right. It was... That's the substitutions about five minutes before that goal made all the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't find the plastic nose, but I found the gonk. <laughs> <laughs> so this says here, we may a me, I won't let the side down. <laughs> so there you go. And Craig Burley, does it give your kids nightmares? This gonk definitely would. You know <laughs> That's more like Craig Burley's here after the game. Yeah. I also found <laughs> Yes. yes. Well, let's see. Daily record. The record brave hearts. Brave yes, hearts. I had that one. Mm-hmm. The rosette. Okay. I'm just yeah. going to two of these, so I'm on eBay after this is ended. Uh-huh. <laughs> so we'll put this video on um, Twitter for um, <laughs> Kevin's eBay selection. I thought you were trying to sell your book, not, <laughs> not stuff from 98. No. Just sell anything. <laughs> if it moves, sell it. Fair does. <laughs> Um, how was Bordeaux? Uh, oh, Bordeaux was fantastic. Class Victoire. Um, I don't know. I don't know if he's still alive, but there's a wee guy who, lovely, lovely wee guy, Ian Ade, known pretty well. He does not a lot of merchandise, and he does the merchandising behind the Champions League finals. And he was a self-styled general, self-appointed general of the Tartan Army, and is uh, is uh, as broad as he is tall, and he used to have this sort of stick of Scotland that he used to brandish like a pipe major as he would be leading a parade. But all these kids the night before the game against Norway, all these kids started running in front of him and he got really upset because he wanted to be seen to be leading it. And that was, but he's a great, he's a great guy. You know? <laughs> and, uh, uh, I don't know if you remember, there was a, a tartan open deck double decker. And was I huge... remember that for the 2007 game, but I don't remember that at the World Cup. You, you might be right. I mean, yeah, there I was, mean you were I there, so you know. I didn't follow it, but um, the, uh, the, the, uh, there was a huge march to the ground behind this Tartan double-decker with uh, an open top, and Ian was at the front and the top. And But that, the other thing as well is what you've got to remember about tournaments is that tournaments bring out people who think, all right, I'll go to the tournament for... Uh, holiday and I'll go I'll try and go to games I'll see if I can pick up tickets over there and uh, I was speaking to my my long-term friends guys I went to school with today and we got me and the guys that got all the qualifiers with had gone down to Arcachon near Bordeaux and we come back six o'clock and all these guys had known who are not they're, they're sort of Scotland supporters but they don't never actually go to games they're watching TV at home they were in this bar off Place de la Victoire and they were absolutely steaming. And I said, what are you doing? Like, it's, it's six o'clock at night. You can barely stand. Oh, no, we thought this is what you're meant to do. <laughs> the night is young, you know, like some of us have been here, be here for two weeks. You know, you've got to pace yourself. So uh, I was then accused by them of not wanting to know them. And uh, there was an incident at the pool table, which uh, I won't go into. And then I found one of them hiding behind a tree for no apparent reason. 
And uh, like these are not young guys, like these are guys in their late thirties. So um, yeah, good memories. It's um, also oh wait, I can show you something else which you want to see. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> this is a great podcast. <laughs> All right. Right, so Kevin is bringing another piece of memorabilia from France 98. And what do we have? It's a poster for the match. Nice. <laughs> okay. And I think it was the day after the game. Uh, my, my friends know that I collect posters. And uh, the um, <laughs> my friend went off for a wander on his own and he came back with this poster. And I said, is that for me? He says, no, I'm having it. I said, did you buy me one? He goes, why would I buy you one? I said, because you know I collect posters. And he went, no, no, I haven't got you anything. So I had to go, <laughs> I had to do a two-mile round <laughs> minimum to go and get this poster. And of course, when I say, all right, I'm going to go and get the poster, everybody else at the table goes, oh, get me one, get me one. <laughs> right? So hold on. And this is the official Bordeaux poster, which... Ah, I remember that. Oh, yeah. I forget what that was, but... but <laughs> so, see, that's quite nice. Hold on. <laughs> this is not what I was expecting, a throwback podcast. <laughs> this is proper throwback stuff, though. Yes. So that's the St. Etienne one, which is pretty doofing. Yeah, so was Scott. I think I'd be very sad. As far as the performances go, you're right. Definitely Bordeaux. Yeah. Uh, I quite like that. Right, wait a minute. Hold on. Here's the other one. This is this is a classic. This is from the, the replay of Monte Carlo. Yes, mm. aye. Right. And I could have got one of these, the, the, the get of a doorman at the stadium. I had one of these about the size of... I don't know, it's like a film poster, you know, like maybe two or three times the size of this, and he wouldn't give it to me. So I had to take this off a station cafe. (laughs) So basically that's a poster of um, someone jumping to um, save the ball. (laughs) That's the keeper in black, Mm -hmm. and that's maybe a guy trying to head it. I thought it was a joke, I thought it was just one team. I'm glad you showed that a bit closer. Yeah, so... 11th of February 1997. That was two days after my 16th birthday. <laughs> a long time ago, that. Um, but yeah, give the, these are good memories that you're sharing. Um, well, I mean, you, you mentioned that because I was about that age as well. Um, and what you said earlier, that went about um, somebody had tweeted about school, getting out of school early. Because that that this was this was me done with school. This was this was my summer. Oh, I love I love this summer because Scotland are in the World Cup. Celtic had just stopped down the row, so I was on a high for that. I just finished school and was going to university in the autumn. So this was this was the best summer ever, as far as I was concerned. So I sat there on top of the wall. Yeah, it was it was definitely um, it was definitely a good summer, despite what happened in the. Um, Final game. So Craig Burley decided, um, you know, in the back of scoring the goal in the World Cup, I'm going to dye my hair blondes, which wasn't exactly new at that time because Gascoigne had done it. And then the whole remaining team decided yeah. to do it for the game against Chinas after beating England. Um, so Romania did that just after Burley did it? 
No, yeah, so basically, yeah, they did it after Burley. So like, oh, they right. thought, because oh, uh, they beat England, which they beat England the yeah. night before we played our final game. Um, and the whole team, bar the goalkeeper who was bald, um, <laughs> decided to um, dye the hair blonde to show his team spirit in celebration for qualifying. Um, Burley did it in celebration of scoring a goal. Um, and so he starts the next game. We probably get the team that we wanted um, for the final game. But you can maybe yeah, argue David so, Weir over Colin Calderwood. I mean, the, um, the situation we were in was Brazil had won their first two games because they'd beat Morocco 3-0 um, after we'd drawn with Norway. So Norway were sitting on two points and both of us Morocco were sitting on one. So we're looking for Brazil to do us a favour and we beat Morocco. That's the plan. Um, Morocco have obviously got a similar plan and they need to beat us and hope Brazil do them a favour. So... Uh, yeah. It was still mathematically possible, as we were so famously uh, used to doing every tournament we ever got to, mm-hmm. as far as I could tell. Yeah, it was definitely mathematically possible. And um, I remember a lot of the um, pre match attention tend to focus on Benzeka, the Moroccan keeper, because he did a stink, as we mentioned, that Morocco uh, Norway game. He didn't cover himself in glory in the Brazil game either. Um, and all focus was on, yeah, get the ball on him, he'll make mistakes. But it was our goalkeeper, header. Nightmare that night. Um, Jim Leighton, by his own mission with the second goal, knows he should have done better. But I think the first one he should be saving anyway. But it doesn't help that Colin Hendry, um, you know, is caught by a ball over the top when he's on pretty much on the edge of his own 18 yard box. Um, it was just a night that went horrible. And I think we, it came down to we underestimated how good the team Morocco were. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if, you look, if you look at those goals, like those long balls that have been played up. They should be meat and drink to yeah, a British defender, you know. So, like the first goal, you just look at it, you think that's a shocker, and then the second goal, you think, oh my god, you know, what's he trying to do? Yeah, I like, this. I first went wrong that night, as far as I remember. Like, had a shocker. The defense was terrible. I don't remember us really challenging much either. Like, I, like you were saying about their the dodgy goalkeeper. Did we ever test them? I don't really feel like we did. Well, um, I think he made a lot. He made a lot of very comfortable saves. Yeah. Uh, the unfortunate thing is that he's one of these keepers that was wearing tracksuit bombs, so that never, <laughs> never a good look. We can't score against somebody that does that. The it's Paraguay cool. keeper wore them as well, but the Paraguay keeper was one of those guys that would actually take the free kicks for them. From what yeah. I remember in the World Cup. But then to go back to the strip, like would Leighton have done better with that second goal had he not been carrying so much material and then having to try and lift his arms, you know? So like if he'd been wearing 50% less material in that top, he might have got his hands up quicker and made the save and it might actually have gone over the bar. Mm-hmm. There you go. Complain, yeah. not the keeper. I was watching this game at a mate's house. There was um, four of us. Um, in the house watching this so half time we're still thinking oh we're one day but we've got time to turn this around as soon as the second goal went in every one of us turned around a sofa um, the back of the sofa heads in our hands for like two or three minutes because we just knew it was done we still watched the rest of the game um, saw Burley getting himself set up there's no doubt that is a red card you know they started out on the challenge from behind and he takes a clear swipe and then the third goal is just comical as well because it's a big deflection off Tom Boyd the game was done but Morocco then suffer the um, the oh, glorious yeah. failure chapter that we used to have because yeah. Norway got the disputed penalty against uh, Brazil and won the game for, and that was the second time they'd beaten Brazil in a year and they came from behind to do it as well because we better give Brazil a lead and it was the last sort of, 10 minutes of the game that Norway 
turned around because the eyes are before and then, as you say, they get the dodgy penalty. So it was it was just the strangest thing because like I, I, just like you, I was at a friend's house. This was like, I, I don't remember going to a friend's house to watch football before. Apart from, and then we did it in this game. So it was me and a few mates again. We'd all just finished school, so we're enjoying the summer. Um, and by the end of this game, I remember I distinctly remember my pal whose house it was was so distraught with the way the game had gone that he was just lying with his head in his girlfriend's lap. Just inconsolable. Um, and then because I'd heard that Norway beaten Brazil and I actually felt sorry for Morocco. Because yeah. as you say, it used to be our story that we would be the hard luck. Um, and I've got stats on that one I'll come back to. Um, but yeah, I, I really did feel sorry for them because they played, they, for all of us, we played badly. They played really well. I really enjoyed watching them in the first game. I don't remember much about the, watching the Brazil game for them, but they were a good team to watch. And I didn't think much of Norway when we played them. Yeah. I thought Morocco were the better team. And yet, some, I couldn't understand how Norway had beat Brazil because, I mean, obviously, it was the third game in the tournament. So nobody got to see the Brazil game at the time. Um, it's not like now where you can, like, dual screen and have one on one screen and one on another screen and that kind of thing where it was shown on like, ITV you'll have one ITV3 you'll have the other one but you, it was just this is the one you're watching we might show you highlights later on I think Eurosport tended to show other games in that at that point because yeah, I remember that about Euro 96 um, when Scotland Switzerland was on <laughs> I switched over to Eurosport when I heard it was 4-0 England just to check that it was actually happening and I saw that but I think that might have been the case in the World Cup to be fair but I can't say I remember but um, when we went 2-0 down I wasn't caring what was happening in the other game but I did feel sorry for um, Morocco because as you say they were the be- they were easily the better football inside but Norway knew how to grind out the result and they'd been in this long unbeaten run as well so yes. no, there was a reason for that Um Kevin, um, obviously you're part of a group over there that's destroyed the stadium. There's always this um, myth that seems to be that Scotland will just part um, regardless anyway. Um, but I don't necessarily think they're celebrating defeat like some people say. That's definitely not the case. But what was the mood like after that game? Was it just a case of after the Kosovo, let's just make the most of what we can? No, well, uh, we, had, we had to go back to this blooming Formula One. So uh, we, we got in the bus and... Um, some people went out, but I was I wasn't in the mood to uh, party, and uh, we went back to Formula One, and we were all devastated. And that's when we said, "Right, can you face this bus? Let's get up and go to Leon Airport and see what the script is about getting back to London." And uh, there was about five of us that did it, and we got the Eurostar. And uh, one of the funny things is that my mate was married, and uh, his wife. She was not the most house-proud individuals. And he'd been away for about a week at least because he, he got the Eurostar for the Brazil game. He couldn't get the holidays and then he came out for the, the game in Norway and then the game in the uh, St. So he got home at two o'clock in the afternoon and he was expected home at 10 o'clock at night. So he walked into the house and he couldn't believe the state of it. And bear in mind, this is a Scottish guy in his late 30s. And it was so bad. <laughs> he could he read on the right act. <laughs> she go home from work and she was going, oh no, I thought you were coming back at 10. I was going to tidy up. You know? So uh, that was about the most memorable thing from the day after. So that was a <laughs> get, get out of Dodge as fast as possible. 
Mm-hmm. Scotland did come away with some award. It was another UEFA fair play that we'd got the same one in 92. Now, when you consider that England were again in some bother in Marseille before the, um, the match against yeah, Tunisia, um, mm-hmm. it was, um, you know, Scotland again, you know, were showing the the good um, the good sides. And who got uh, that award? Who picked Kevin. up that award on behalf of the Tartan Army? Yes. And there's a young Kevin Donnelly um, holding a trophy that he got. So, yeah, describe that moment. Which looks like a guy, a giant <laughs> Describe the moment, not a trophy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, it's fantastic. Um, um, absolutely fantastic. Uh, got flown to uh, got flown to Nice. Uh, all expenses paid with SFA. And then quite incredibly, I hope you're sitting down, we got a helicopter from Nice to Monte Carlo because we weren't going to make it otherwise. Wow. It was in the, pal- the Palais de Sport. And I remember, I remember going in and thinking, oh, that's a really good effect. They've got, like, the night sky. And somebody realised it was the night sky. They take the canopy back. And uh, the the thing I did that night was I picked up the award, but then I actually shared the stage with Peter Ustinov, who was, of course, picking up some award and um, speaking fluent French and had everybody rolling in the aisles. Couldn't understand the word. And uh, then went back, went back to Harry's Bar in Monte Carlo. Had a drink with uh, Marjorie Nemo and Andy Mitchell, who was the SFA media guy. And then the next day, we got a helicopter back to Nice Airport, and we flew back to London. Which, and I was still pinching myself that it had all actually happened. This was amazing. I can't imagine. I mean, if you're going to go to Monte Carlo, helicopters are way to do it. Helicopters are the way to do it, especially when the SFA are paying for it. Indeed. <laughs> and that was back in 98. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it was a, a truly fantastic experience. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's the, a tremendous. The interesting thing is, I don't know if you two guys can confirm this, but I don't actually think that trophy's on display in the museum. In the times I've been to the museum, I've been a couple of times, obviously, um, the book launch was there, and I don't remember seeing it there. And you'd that's think, a good, if, a good question to find out where thing, it is. If that's one thing you'd think they would be pushing, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I, I just John mentioned we got it for Euro '92, and we've won more trophies than the team have. And uh, that's the thing that's on the key ring that everybody got, mm-hmm. you know, is a, that went to the World Cup as a, a keepsake. But again, perhaps given the shape and size of it, that's the reason why it's not in display. <laughs> I can I can openly admit to having handled it fondly. <laughs> Kevin, you do realise that you're going to have to share this picture on Twitter tomorrow, so our um, listeners can know what the hell you're talking about. So, <laughs> right, okay, yeah, that's uh, that's it. I'll do that once you once you post this on Twitter. I'll post up the offending photograph. <laughs> yes, get ready, get ready for a lot of abuse about how young I look. <laughs> Just watch that Elon Musk doesn't ban you from Twitter because of it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but there's worse that's happening on Twitter than that. Yeah, a lot worse. Um, in terms, of, in terms of the the rest of the tournament, because um, obviously, oh, yeah. before we move on, like so, that, this was obviously Scotland, Scotland out again at the group stage for the eighth time, which is still a record today. Nobody has been knocked out of the group stages and not got any further more than us. 
See the way we've done it. Like, I was looking at this earlier on, right? So the first one was 54, where it was a weird setup, where it was only two games in the group and we had to play the two CD teams, so we lost them both. Um, every other tournament, we played the three games against the three teams that were in the group with us. But in 58, we had a draw with Yugoslavia and two narrow defeats of France and Paraguay. So same number of points as we got in 98, but at least it was tight. And then we get to the 74, where we drew with Brazil, drew with Yugoslavia, but because we'd only beat Zaire 2-0 and everybody else had beat them more, we went out. The first team ever to go out without losing a game. Um, 78, we managed to beat the finalists in the Netherlands, but since we'd already beat Afternoon and drew with Iran, we were out in goal difference. The first of three in a row, we were out in goal difference. Because in 82, we beat New Zealand, we were in pumped after Brazil, and binned it against the Soviets. If we beat the Soviets, we'd have been through. We get the two each draw. We That's just three in a row, Chris. Because 74 went out in goal difference. Oh, yeah. So, aye, aye, sorry. Aye. Aye, 74, 78, 82. I knew it was three in a row there somewhere because 86 was just... 86 is the one that annoys me the most, I think. Because, yes, we lost two and drew one. But see if we turned that draw into a win against Uruguay. They were down to 10 men after like 10 seconds. And we just couldn't score against them. See if we... They, Uruguay went through for that with two points. Yeah. Two draws. If we beat them, their goal difference is better than yours. I've, I've, got, I've got a mate who um, despises Uruguay so much that he actually wanted England to beat them in the 2014 World Cup. Um, and I remember... And his favourite um, only excuse question was the John Gorman sketch from that World Cup. Um, John, what's it like winning England to win? So when he supported England against Uruguay, I asked him that same question. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Um, and then obviously the other one was 1990, and well, we're old enough to remember the name Costa Rica. And then our, last, our last World Cup win was in that tournament against Sweden, and then we obviously had the, the narrow defeat by Brazil, which knocked us out. I mean, it knocked us out the following day because we finished third that season or that year, and then we were one of two that didn't go through in third place. Yeah, uh, the lost So we, need- we, if there is a way to go out in the group stage, we've probably done it all. I used to say that was the case. Then the woman decided to find a brand new way to do it, and a couple of years ago, <laughs> we got three them up against Argentina, and then having that ridiculous collapse meltdown. <laughs> so that was new. So I there, there might be some other way to get knocked out of the groups, but we'd have to get there first again. Um, yeah. Sadly, we haven't been able to do that. So. Yeah, we're just finding ways not to qualify now. <laughs> that's the that's the other sad thing. Um, but yeah, and whilst we're admiring the rest of the tournament, what's the um, what in terms of highlights of the rest of the tournament? Then, um, first of all, what do you think was the best kit out of everyone else apart from Scotland? Obviously, right, I'll, I'll I'll say that's because Scott's not on the podcast. Croatia. If, if Scott was on this podcast tonight, I guarantee he would have been sitting there in the Croatia top for that 98 World Cup. He loves that guy, and I have to agree. It was, I mean, the red and white checks were iconic, but I preferred the blue one. I'd given it straight to white and blue. That's quite unusual for me. <laughs> it's a cracking strip. I, for me, that's, I think, I don't know if it's because it is just a really nice strip or if it's because Croatia also got what they were like the underdog great story at that World Cup that everybody enjoyed watching as well. I mean, Davos Zucker was the golden boot winner in this tournament um, with six goals. So I, I think everybody enjoyed watching Croatia and they just did it in that kit as well. So 
Uh, for me, that's it. That was probably my favourite kit. Apart from Scotland, one, obviously. I'm a big, uh, I'm a big favourite. Uh, the Argentinian strip. Always, I just mm. think that's a complete classic. And going on from that, I'd say probably the goal of the tournament would be Bear Camp. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That 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 seventy yard ball from Frank uh, De Boer is ridiculously good. Yeah, and it's then bettered by the two yeah. touches that Bear Camp takes. One to control it and set himself up for putting it right in the net. And it's like the is it like the eighty ninth ninetieth minute as well? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah we... That's goal of the tournament. I totally agree. <laughs> Would we not have been going to Marseille had we actually qualified? Yes, we would have been going to Marseille to play Italy. Right. Um, is they beaten? That would have been good because um, that 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 velodrome stadium I thought was apart from the Stade de France, obviously, the velodrome for me was the um, most artistic stadium of the whole tournament. Uh, I just loved um, because obviously it's down at the Mediterranean as well. Um, the, the three um, arches almost, um, you know, open, open, no roof on it. I just thought it looked absolutely immense. No, never been to it, to be honest. Only seen it yeah. I've never been either, but I just like, you no, know, I like the look of it. Um, that Argentina team was really good in that tournament. I am, um, they just came up against a really good Dutch team, and the Dutch team had to do a lot to beat them. Um, I mean, even the because that was a quarter final in the previous round, the Argentina England game. Was another terrific game. I mean, Michael Owen was brilliant in that game, and for some reason got slaughtered by the English press after it. Don't know. I don't think Michael Owen gets slaughtered. Apparently, Michael Owen gets slaughtered. Not as much as David Beckham gets slaughtered, obviously, because he was a scapegoat because he got sent off that day. But Michael Owen was getting slaughtered for whatever. I mean, I thought he was. He was. He came home golden boy, as far as I'm concerned. I thought as well. And then I was reading up, there was people complaining he was getting slaughtered for it. I don't remember that. But I the one I remember was Beckham because he just got scapegoated. Like I've never known anybody to be scapegoated yeah. in my life. But I'm pretty shitty med camp, to be honest. He does flick out at Diego Simeone. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. But Diego Simeone makes the most of it that he can. I mean, there's, there's, there's a similar thing with um, Rooney and Ronaldo a few years later um, when England put, get knocked out of Portugal. And it was clear Ronaldo made the most it to get when he sent off, but I think it's nowhere near as bad as what Simeone does in this one. No. Technically, it's a red card. I don't think you can dispute that, but it's, it seems a little harsh. And then to, for the backlash that he got after that, as if it was him who'd missed the penalties, <laughs> so, or hadn't managed to get the winner, or, or whatever like that. There was a goal in this one that was chalked off, because this was one of the tournaments where a golden goal, and Saul Campbell put the ball in it an extra time. And it was chalked off. It wasn't extra time. It so. was at 90 minutes. It was, was it 90, 90 minutes? minutes? I thought it was extra. I thought it was a golden goal. It was late enough it was going to be a winner. If it was yeah, 90 minutes. If you, actually, if you actually see it, it's chalked off for nothing. It's it's no him. I think it's, is it Scholes? I think Shearer. Maybe goes up. I think. Was it Shearer? Somebody, somebody had a very slight push. And yeah. at the time, I was absolutely adamant it was, a, it was the correct decision. See when you watch it back. I think it's um, but that, I mean, that obviously would have been the winner for England and they went through, but they then had their usual heartbreaking penalties. David yeah, Batty? Kevin Keegan. Yeah, Kevin Keegan to curse David Batty. Um, quickly, um, Kevin, will he score? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, and that all came about because they lost to Romania in the group, because obviously England were expected to win the group and then yeah. go to the other side of the path. That was another yeah. thing I was reading about earlier. Michel Platini and Matty to fix the draw of us. So that France and Brazil, as long as they won the groups, would ever meet to the final. 
And that was that was a fix in the draw. Yeah, totally. Apparently, yeah. there was also dodgy um, deals with the bidding for winning the tournament in the first place. There was bribes involved. <laughs> not from really? France. Not from France. Apparently, it was the Morocco bid that was getting the the the, the bribes. Obviously, they bribed them enough because France got to host the tournament. Um, but yeah, that was that was one of the ones. Chuck Blazer, is that the guy's name? Yeah, it's one of the ones he admitted mm. to. But it was it was uh, the Morocco bid. <laughs> Morocco have been for a few World Cups and still not host it. Maybe they'll get one one year, maybe next year. I don't know. But we must be to another African one eventually. So you'd be the thought they'd be the favourite to win it when that happens. Yeah, no, but we're in Africa. Well, we've had what the South, South Africa in twenty ten, so we'll be due one soonish. There's only six confederations. Mm, pretty scary. Wait and see. Yeah, we'll wait and see. Maybe I mean Morocco might be better. I mean that's South Africa. Well, that's for another podcast, and that's not yeah. one I'd enjoy to be brutally honest. Um, back if I never see Marrakesh again, too, it will be too soon. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah, I mean my tip for the um, I, I thought Argentina would actually win the tournament, but um, obviously that was wrong. Um, and as you highlighted, the final was between France and Brazil. It was like the seen as the perfect final. The hosts against the world champions. It was built up as the, the dream final. It turned out to be a nightmare from a Brazil point of view, especially what happened to Ronaldo beforehand, having a fit. And then, you know, there was that weird thing. He was listed as a sub- substitute, and then he was listed as starting. And BBC, I was watching the game on BBC, um, were having a near meltdown over it. I was like, what on earth is going on? And um, Martin O'Neill was saying, I, these FIFA forms honestly need like, massive O-levels to um, <laughs> fill them out and stuff like that. But it might have affected, it probably did affect Brazil, there's no question about that, but I think that would be deflecting from what was a good France performance, because France were excellent, and an underrated goal in that term was the Petit one. Um, yeah. That was a great counter-attacking goal, a nice way to finish yeah. it off for them, but Zidane's headers are obviously iconic. I mean, Zidane's headers were on you. I mean, we're all expecting Zidane to put in this great performance, and it, it's, it's two headers. It's like, that's that's not the goals you'd expect Zidane to be scoring in the World Cup final. If you're thinking, if you're thinking, uh, Winning tournament winning goals for Zidane. You go to 2002, the Champions League final at Hamden. That's what you expect Zidane to do. Not two headers. Two headers is fairly simple. But I see if you watch him back, see his movement. It's first class. I mean, he makes the space for himself to get those headers and the ball's whipped in straight on his head. But you're right, the Petit goal is, is a terrific counter-attack. And you're right and, and to say that Brazil, as much as they were out of sorts, this was France's best game of the tournament. Because France had a pretty... Pretty ropey run to the final. Yeah. Um, I mean, they got through the group all right, but then they had a golden goal against Paraguay. But I knew the golden goal was, eventually, it was mentioned somewhere along yeah. the line. There was a penalty shootout with Italy. Again, I mentioned that earlier, uh, Baggio um, redeeming himself, but still, Italy lost the penalty <laughs> shootout. They then had a tough semi against a really good Croatia team. Yeah. Um, and it was the most unlikely of goal scorers in that game for them because you get two for Turam. And I'm sure I heard, I, I was watching something earlier, but Turam had never scored for France before that game. And he scored twice. So, I mean, um, super uh, player. Aye, the, there was another story um, for this World Cup. There was some competition my dad had where you had to pick the semi finalists for, for the World Cup before it started. And I'd suggested to him, I'd sat and it out, and I picked the four correctly. And told him to put it. He never submitted that. I'm, I'm, I'm really annoyed at that because with Croatia in there, there'd be a great chance of winning something really good. Yeah. Um, but as I mean, 
my predictions fell apart after that because I had the Netherlands and Croatia making the final. <laughs> so uh, they made the third place. I am. I, I got it right up to the series after that. Yeah. Um, but I am. That competition was definitely. But picking the last four and he never submitted it. Region. You're not better. No, not at all. It's only been twenty-four <laughs> years. Yeah, it was. Um... Yeah, it was a bit of a controversial way to end the, the tournament. Um, the other thing that bugged me about the final was that I never got the third. Because it would have been nice if somebody had scored a hat trick where all three goals scored for the line in the final. Aye. <laughs> never been done. Oh. And there was a sending off in this final. Do you remember who got sent off? Uh, Desi. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he became the third player in history to be sent off in the World Cup final. The previous two before that were in the same final, which is a more forgettable final than this one. Um, I mean, wasn't it? Aye, yeah, still worst game of football I've ever seen. One of I would would be inclined to give you the 2010 finals, the worst game of football I've ever seen. Yeah, well, that's that's very true. Aye, that more red cards in that one, Mm -hmm. yeah, aye. Exactly. Um, so we'll, we'll ride up. We've um, got a wee bit over as, as expected. Um, uh, just um, give you a summary, first of all, Kevin, and um, what France 98 meant to you. Uh, a very good holiday in France. Um, some excellent meals, some lovely food uh, and wine. And yet again, the ultimate disappointment of not actually getting out of the group and Finding having to find an excuse to phone up work and say I'm not going to be back until we get knocked out. Uh, it's interesting. I was thinking, but I don't. Brown came under much pressure afterwards to uh, go, and I think it's very much a case of people expect you to are just glad that you qualify, and like there was, I don't remember any co- real calls for Clark uh, to go after a pretty dismal showing in the Euros, in the finals. So um, it's interesting. Um, I think what what you've talked about earlier on in terms of the age of this, the squad, that was uh, very significant. And um, you wonder now if Brown, you would have got out then and left somebody else to pick up the pieces because um, he had nothing coming through, really, thinking about it. I think he's, I think he's actually admitted that himself. He should have left after then. But I know Roxburgh was the same about year ninety two. Don't really remember that for Craig, um, but you probably. Did. He, he, I mean, he still was unlucky not to go off in the next two. I mean, because he took us to the playoffs in the year two thousand, mm-hmm. lost to England. We were third in the group with Belgium and um, Croatia, and the, the wheels started to come off in that campaign when Belgium, ten man Belgium, who weren't even near the golden age, um, scored a ninety second minute equaliser, and we were two up against ten men with an hour to play. <laughs> I call that the two each defeat that game. Um, well, plus but, the fact that Ferguson should have buried that chance. That's very true. <laughs> exactly. And Chris, um, final thoughts from you? I, th- I think that's just probably my favourite tournament in the World Cup. Just the timing of it and when it came in my life, Scotland being there, it's never really lined up since. Like that, it's never been a. Like, I could have don't even worry about school. Scotland are in a tournament. Just enjoy myself. It's, 
I probably will never line up with that again because life will get in the way from the one um, and has done for some time as well. So it was it was probably my favourite. The football it was on show, even Scotland aside, it was a really enjoyable World Cup in its own right. Um, there were some great games to watch. We spoke about them earlier, like the Argentina's um, games and they run to the, the quarterfinal. Right, the quarterfinal. Um, some terrific players we got to see. Um, Zidane scoring those two goals in the final, among other things. And I did thoroughly enjoy it. And I am desperate for Scotland to get back to another tournament because it's been far, far, far too long. And I think my final point would be this World Cup also had the best music on both BBC and ITV. And, and I've just checked the poll. It's 60% went for Rendezvous on ITV and 40% went for Pavan. And I totally agree with that because Jean-Michel is a legend. Yeah, and we will um, end by playing that out. Um, or a minute um, worth of that out. So yeah. Can I, um, can I just end with the immortal line, I'm just going to deflate Craig Burnley. <laughs> oh, that is a good... Here we go. There you go. It, it deflates slowly. It's a slow release. <laughs> oh dear, there was a long pause for nothing as it turned out to be. <laughs> a bit like Scotland. Um, bye, bye, says Craig. Bye bye. <laughs> but yeah, this was um, a great tournament for me um, as well. You know, just the whole build. I've never seen a build up for a tournament like it before or since. Um, even when Scott got off after year 2020, it didn't quite have that same build up buzz um, because not. Everyone could get to go because stadiums weren't even like a quarter full because of COVID, etc. Um, and let's hope by the time Scotland get to a major tournament again, it'll have a similar buzz to what um, France 98 was. And let's hope we're there for not just years 2024, but World Cup 2026. Let's hope in four years we're not doing another recap of France without looking forward to the tournament. So, au revoir for now. Au revoir. Au revoir.